I remember like watching 101 Dalmatians actually and thinking it was like so <laughs> cool, you know, when Anita like draws the dress and then Cruella's like, <laughs> this one, like, oh, spots, I see spots. Yeah. I actually know that my favourite line is, take, take the drawing, drawing from Anita <laughs> and, and give it to me. To you. <laughs> yeah, so good. <laughs> that scene in particular. Hey, I'm Tag, the chief exec of Gay Times. I've always been interested in real conversations. And beyond my life at Gay Times, I want the same connections and understanding that you do. I've always been fascinated with queer people across our community who have blazed a trail in their own unique way. In music, activism, film, fashion, and more, these inspirational LGBTQ people have smashed through the gates of their industries, refusing to take no for an answer. Believe it or not, I'm not a journalist. So get ready to uncover real stories, unfilter the conversation, and enjoy some very unscripted moments. This isn't going to be a one-way conversation, and I might find myself in the hot seat too sometimes. This is Tag Talks. In this Gay Times original series, I'll be joined by well-known faces for one-on-one authentic conversations to learn about their unique journeys, how they created space in their respective industries, and became inspirational figures. Why? Because representation matters. In a world where four out of five LGBTQ plus people, that's all of you, say you need more representation across the board in all walks of life, you may well be following in their footsteps very soon. Today, I'm joined by award-winning designer and creative director, Daniel W. Fletcher. From Central St. Martins to becoming artistic director of menswear brand Fiorucci, Daniel W. Fletcher has, in just a few short years, carved out his own unique sartorial space in the fashion world. Hi, Daniel. How are you? I'm good. <laughs> I thought that that was like a Victoria Beckham quote. Daniel, how are you? <laughs> I love how you got that in in the first 20 seconds. I never talk about that, you know. No one, I never, literally never. We're going to talk questions. about it. We're going to talk oh, about God. it. Oh, God. This is only because we know each other that you can ask these questions. There we go. Then we're going to get a really honest interview there. <laughs> we're oh, going to have God. an honest conversation. And yeah, it's not even an interview. It's just a, it's just a conversation. But I think I'm glad that you brought that up because we'll get back to that. For all the listeners, this is, this is a particular joke which has spread now far and wide because I've actually had people reference it to me who don't know who you are and we're going to get back to Victoria Beckham so hold that thought just tell us where you are in the world right now you're at home in London I'm guessing I am I'm yeah at my flat I yeah live here on my own (laughs) (laughs) you were saying before that you you're really fortunate that your studio where you work is literally underneath you down the road so yeah it's like two minutes over the road so which is I'm great really lucky that I can go there every day and not have to be like stuck in my flat because I'm terrible at working from home and I really need that like space to go to and stuff so I'm so lucky that throughout this whole year I've still been able to go there and also just that like work has not really stopped for me so kind of very fortunate in that sense what did you do today and what's the sort of average day in the life of Daniel W Fletcher right now in this moment Today, I launched the last samples for my collection that is coming out in, during London Fashion Week. I did a mentoring session um, with oh, nice. a girl who's at college. She's 16. I'm just kind of like giving her some advice, part of like a program helping young kids who are kind of like wanting to go into fashion. I had a call about a big collaboration with that Fiorucci doing next year. 
Daniel does this really funny thing for everyone listening where he kind of like rolls his eyes and shakes his floppy hair. It's a very Danielism thing, I've oh noticed. God, no one has ever told me that before. <laughs> there you go. I've just said it in front of all of our listeners. <laughs> yeah, it's like an, oh, if you shake your head and roll your eyes at the same time, it's quite, it makes you feel a bit better. Um, there's, there's a funny thing that me and um, a couple of my friends always reference that is so niche and it was basically on the X Factor take a seat challenge in like 2007 or something. Mel B was a guest judge and she got the microphone and someone performed and then she went, oh yes, please. (laughs) And she like waved the microphone in her face like it was a cock. (laughs) And we like always reference it and that movement that I do where I like shake my head back and forth and wave my hair is kind of like Mel B going, oh yes, please. Well, oh, 2007. I can tell it's been a long day. Oh my god! <laughs> but, yeah, I'm to be honest. I'm always I get to this like slightly delirious mad point when it's like the week before the collection comes out because I've just like worked solidly up to doing it that I haven't really stopped. And then I'm like, by the last week, everyone's all like, "You're a bit mad right now." <laughs> I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, they could deal with it." No, I I, I feel that. Originally from the northwest of England, Daniel moved to London to study and gained experience at Louis Vuitton, Victoria Beckham, Burberry, and Lanva before starting his own brand. Daniel produces deeply personal collections that explore his thoughts on current affairs and social issues. In his own words, taking something familiar and turning it on its head a little bit. You're originally from the northwest of England. Tell us a bit about what it was like growing up there and what life was like as a kid. So, yeah, I grew up in uh, just outside Chester, um, but went to school in Chester and actually was a really great place to grow up because you're kind of a bit in the countryside. Like you could go out when you're a teenager and go to like a barn rave or something like that. But then also it was like an hour from Manchester on the train or 45 minutes from Liverpool. So like when I was a teenager, I'd like go to gigs and things and like we could go there shopping. And like there was this, like, you know, when you go through your like teenage phases when you're like a mosher or goth and stuff, <laughs> we'd go to this big place called Affleck's Palace and buy our shag bands and baggy <laughs> jeans from there. So it wasn't like so sheltered, like I'm in a really small town, but actually the day-to-day of like going to school and that side of life was like quite small town so I was not exposed to like a huge amount of like it wasn't like growing up in London or a big city or anything it was kind of like a a really good place to grow up have brother and sister and very close to them and my parents actually very fortunate I always had very like supportive like caring close family growing up do you remember the first time that you thought about being a designer or being interested in, in clothing? Was it always there or did it kind of snap into view one day? It was always there, but it was not something that I ever considered as a career. So I remember like watching 101 Dalmatians actually and thinking it was like so <laughs> cool, you know, when Anita like draws the dress and then Cruella's like, <laughs> this one, like, oh, spots, I see spots. Yeah. I actually know my favourite line is, take the drawing from Anita <laughs> and, and give it to me. To you. <laughs> yeah, so good. <laughs> that scene in particular. And I remember after that, and I also really vividly remember Shania Twain's leopard print dress in the, is it Don't Impress Me Much video? Where she's like walking through the desert and she was like, and I remember drawing like dresses for my mum, like designing a dress for my mum, because also my mum loves animal prints and she wears like a lot of leopard print. So, But it never really occurred to me that I could be a fashion designer because I think growing up in a small town in the northwest of England, 
I didn't know any fashion designers. I don't know how you become one. I don't know what the path is. Like, it just never really felt like a viable career option for me. So I always, I actually wanted to be an actor. And then when I kind of was around 18, I was doing like a lot of different shows at the same time and like doing my A-level drama and I was rehearsing pretty much every night. I was like, actually, I kind of really hate the rehearsal process and like, think I don't want, it's so like being an actor is a really difficult thing because you can end up just doing like like you can either make it really big or if you don't you kind of can have like a really kind of quite difficult life like going to auditions all the time and having to work jobs that you don't want to do just to try and make that work and I was like I'm not really sure that I want to do it and like I'd been to see a few drama schools and was preparing my audition pieces and I was like you know what I think I'm going to take a year out and then really decide what I want to do and I went did some traveling and then came back and did an art foundation at Kingston University and kind of by that time I decided that I wanted to go into fashion so I specialized in fashion on my art foundation applied to St Martin's to do to study menswear design and then that was it really so I was kind of a late bloomer going into fashion I think it was always there I was always the kid who was like matching my socks and my t-shirts but didn't really know how to be like how you become a fashion designer but then I got to 18 I was like yeah yeah I can see that's a path now kind of like took moving down to London to realize that I also had like that thing of like, I'm going to be an actor for like a hot second. But the thing that I remember thinking, which really daunted me to kind of bounce off what you said was, it's not that this is right, but there's this weird sort of societal thing where people think you have to become an actor in a certain given amount of time. Like the minute you've got to your 30s, you're sort of seen as like dead in the water and your sort of opportunity to become an actor of any sort of like degree of success is so limited not that that's the right thing but I think that's one thing that I got really scared by and I thought actually I don't want to go into a profession where you feel like you've got this ticking time bomb like obviously we're sure we all have that and I definitely have that still but at least going into an industry where you can sort of learn and develop was that important to you to like go into something where you could learn and like develop something over time at a pace that wasn't like something like acting where it's sort of seen as like you need to kind of break it big by the time you're 18, 90 years old? Yeah, I'd never actually really thought about that, actually. That's a really interesting way to think about it. I never have too many expectations about things. I always have a lot of ambitions and like ideas of things that I want to do, but I don't have expectations about it. And it's still exactly the same now with my career. Like there's things that I would love to do, like have Daniel Fletcher shops or like, I don't know, do a runway show in Paris and stuff and they're all ambitions and goals for me but they're not expectations and not like expecting that that's going to happen but like it's something that I will strive towards. Yeah that's brilliant I think in a way I guess that means that you're rarely then disappointed if you don't have the expectation that something should quote-unquote happen you're just actually really happy that it has. Mm -hmm. Going back to being a kid did you look at fashion in in the sort of industry capacity and say like that feels very exclusive, a bit unattainable. Were you ever sort of intimidated by what some actually perceive as like a class divide in fashion as it's a certain elite that gets to go into that world? I never looked at it from a class perspective, but I did look at it from like a sexuality perspective, I think, because I didn't come out until I was 21. I was always interested in fashion, but I think as like a teenager in high school in the northwest of England, saying that you're interested in fashion is 
essentially like saying I'm gay because only gay people were involved in fashion right. is kind of what it felt like. And it, so it wasn't until I got to a point where I was like comfortable with my sexuality and who I was and confident in who I was that I was like, yeah, being a man, that is, sorry, like being a guy and being like, yeah, I'm interested in fashion. That's what I'm going to go and study at university. I feel like if I'd said at 14, yeah, I want to be a fashion designer, I just would have got shit beaten out of me at school. Right. Well, right. probably not shit beaten out of me because I was <laughs> always just like, kind of was able to like make friends with those like lads that would possibly be the ones picking on the gay boys. But I certainly had like, yeah, I just was not comfortable with it, you know? Yeah, for sure. When you got to London then, did you have any of those feelings of like, oh my God, this is slightly daunting or overwhelming? Or were you just like, I'm going to do my thing and if it happens, it happens. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. Like, did you have that sort of fear? Because I do talk to other designers or people in the industry that do agonize quite a lot about like the industry, right? And they feel quite intimidated by it. I just don't give two shits, to be honest. I think I'm just, <laughs> I'm just like... I was hoping like, you say that. <laughs> I'm just like, you know, I don't care about it. Like, it's just like, there is, that. I just don't believe in that. There obviously is some like classes, classism and elitism that is present. But for me, I'm just like, well, I don't care. I'll just go for it, you know? Like when yeah. I was applying to St. Martin's, they said on my course, like on my foundation, don't apply to St. Martin's because no one ever gets in. They only let in like rich international students. So blah, blah. And I was like, well, I'm going to apply. It's the only place I want to go. <laughs> and of course, and they were like, no one's ever got in from this course. And I was like, well, I'm the first person that's ever got in then. And yeah, I was. If you really believe in it, just work hard for it, then hopefully it'll work out. Yeah, for sure. Going back to like, I guess your upbringing a bit, the work that you do, I know, has a huge amount of sort of inspiration about craftsmanship in England. And like we've talked about you going and doing shoots down by like the seaside and kind of taking inspiration by various different areas of the, the United Kingdom. I mean, I think the name of one of your collections is This Is England, right? Is that right? No, there was one called um, Postcards from the North. Oh, no, there's one called Made in England. Made in so England. So that was Made specifically my Walmart prize collection where... Yeah. I basically, the whole collection was made out of wool and I sourced it from, because it was around the time like British manufacturing has really been declining in the last right. couple of years. And I really wanted to support like British manufacturing and mills. And so basically I went to all these mills in the north of England and sourced all of these amazing wools that didn't look like the traditional, like a wood, woolly jumper or tweed suit kind of fabrics. Yeah. I was like, really modern and innovative and I used that collection as an opportunity to showcase kind of what we could do in Britain with our yeah and I'm guessing then you were saying that, that you took inspiration as well from like the history of textiling in the north because that's such a part of the history there which is as you say has actually been in decline um for so many years and it kind of in turn I then kind of like went down different paths of like looking at like artists and photographers who were kind of photographing like the north of England around the like 60s and 70s and mm. looking at kind of like different periods in time and like areas like Liverpool and Manchester that I know growing up and kind of using that as points of inspiration from collections. Do you think that'll always be part of the like Daniel W. Fletcher brand or do you sort of see it going on a vacation somewhere international? <laughs> so next collection is actually about, well, it's actually about Dubai, you know? <laughs> No, I think really as a designer, you really just have to respond to your own 
history and your own experience of life. I think it's like so weird when people just like, oh yeah, this collection's about fish. And that, that's <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm like, that's a bad example. But I just think it does have to have some personal connection. I mean, I agree. One, one very contentious thing in fashion, which for so long went unquestioned, but I think it, maybe in society in general this went unquestioned, was this idea of cultural appropriation mm-hmm. and creativity. And of course, I think recently people have started to look back at some of the major designers and especially the Italian fashion houses at doing the China inspired collection. Yeah, like so what, bad. yeah. What is your sort of opinion, all of that? And like how, as a very modern designer that's really come up in the last five to 10 years, how do you look at that sort of like old guard in a way that would go and have international collections where they sort of took inspiration some they would say and others would say culturally appropriated different cultures to try and make things feel exciting and international and exotic that was happening but it is still happening with some designers yeah i think so i think the conversation has moved on so much and people are so much more aware that actually just like taking something from someone else's culture and like making it your own without actually like informing yourself properly and actually working with the people who the culture is part of their history Mm. is really not a good thing to do but you can't cancel absolutely everything that's ever been shown you Mm -hmm. know so i'm glad that it's not happening now and it will certainly never happen in my work i hope before you get yeah accused of culturally appropriating manchester or something i was (laughs) from uh support manchester united um I actually, one of the, when I was going on Next in Fashion, they was made by the same producers as a cookery show. And on that cookery show, they'd each challenge had been inspired by a country. So right. it was like, this week is like Japanese week. And they would do like food inspired right. by Japanese. And they were like, yeah, the concept of the fashion show is to like do the same. It's going to be like the same thing. And I was like, I just want to bring this up. Like if those are the challenges and each week is themed on a different country, then I'm not going to be part of your show because... I'm not going to like do Japanese week and they like, make a kimono. It's like really not, that is cultural appropriation. And they were like, right. bye. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I think you better think about that before you like go any further with this show. That's amazing that you were giving like the production feedback, but good for you. Cause I think so many people just take what's given to them and don't question it. And that's the problem is that then, then that's what allows something to go down a runway, which is actually quite insensitive and borderline offensive at times. And I think this is a huge problem with reality TV as well, that people get so sucked into it when they go on these shows and right. have ideas about like what it's going to do for them. So they just say yes to anything. Right. And then they like come off the island or out the house or off the show. And yeah. then they look at it and they're like, oh God, I've done all these terrible things. And I just, just because I was like on a reality TV show and I got sucked into it. We're going to talk a bit about Next in Fashion later. I think when you say that you kind of, you know, I know you say this in a really positive way that you don't really give too much of a fuck about the sort of the scene, if you like. And I think that's so refreshing. I know the other thing that you feel particularly able to sort of break free from is the sort of rigidity and the scheduling that happens around fashion. And I know that you've definitely, you know, dropped collections out of um, kilt from what the traditional, you know, like sort of um, schedules have <laughs> have been. Uh, Daniel just made a rude sign. That's why I'm laughing. Um, <laughs> Sorry, put you off. <laughs> so no, it's fine. It's nice. I'll just describe what's happening. With things like fashion seasons, 
in a way, one of the things the pandemic has done, obviously the pandemic is really devastating and it's incredibly sad, the sort of impact that it's made on people's lives. One thing that has it has done is disrupt a lot of those um, sort of things that people think are there because they should just be there because they always have been. So talk about how you've embraced kind of doing things on your own schedule and your own time and not necessarily always conforming to the structures that have been put in place by the sort of um, fashion weeks, that sort of thing over the last uh, 10, 20 years. And ever since I started, really, I've just thought that the whole way that the systems work and the seasons and when people show just doesn't make sense, especially from a young brand perspective. So people will come straight out of university, they'll be like sewing the collection themselves and then they will try and do a fashion show that is on the same scale as like the Louis Vuitton show in Paris. It's like, actually, you're in a very different place. You don't need (laughs) to show 50 looks. You don't need to do it in the Louvre. Like you're just going to (laughs) bankrupt yourself before you've even got off the ground. Find new, more interesting ways of showing your collection. And also you don't need to show it just, when everyone else is showing it just because someone somewhere sat at a desk inside Sunset House is uh, telling (laughs) you that that's when you need to show it. Ever since I started, like, I've done runway shows, I've done presentations, I did a protest one season, like, I've done lookbook releases, um, done videos, like, just try and find, like, new interesting ways to show the collections all the time. And really in the last year, because of the pandemic, I'd kind of before the year started like I knew that I had Next in Fashion coming out in the February I had my first Fiorucci collection coming out in the January so I decided not to show my autumn winter collection then when everyone else was I took it to Paris and I showed it to the buyers and then I did the production and then I released it on the day that it was like available to buy on the website I also released it to the press and like did all the like PR around that like during the fashion week then because I just think no one wants to see a collection like nine months before they can actually buy it anymore. Right. Like, people like want to like go on Instagram and click on it and buy it straight away. Like they're not waiting nine months anymore. It's not like the 70s and we've got like a really glamorous <laughs> fashion show and people are waving fans in the face. It's like we live in a very different time, you know. Like you want to sell it on TikTok. Like you want people to like really engage with your product and not make it so exclusive anymore. I don't think that's the way forward. So and also like the seasons don't work like we're at like the climate is absolutely fucked anyway like (laughs) there's no point doing your summer collection and being like here's all the shorts then your winter collection like here's all your puffer jackets it's like actually it was really sunny last week but it's snowing today so like you gotta you gotta move with the times so did that collection in june where i kind of like released autumn winter at this like the first drop of it online the day the collection came out then I did a second drop in September when it got a bit colder you know makes sense we put the scarves <laughs> and things out there and then in um I did like a little pre-collection which was just like 10 pieces as like a capsule in September mm-hmm. during fashion week and then I just did something completely out of schedule in November I actually released some tuxedos and bow tie shirts for Christmas but unfortunately Christmas was cancelled no one had anywhere to go so they're still in the stock room <laughs> <laughs> if anyone would um, like one <laughs> available now <laughs> no, actually no this week we did just sell out the bow tie shirt I don't know where everyone's bought, what everyone's buying them for because I've certainly got nowhere to go maybe they're for Dubai <laughs> So yeah, I'm just kind of like doing it my own way now and just like this year has really given me the confidence, especially kind of like now that I'm so busy with Fiorucci as well and I had everything with Next in Fashion, just kind of really good and like the world just being in a completely different place, it gave me the confidence just to be like doing my own schedule now. Which I love and I think it's so refreshing. 
a lot of this doesn't make sense like you just articulated like so much of it was we're doing this because we've always done it whereas when you actually challenge it and interrogate it it made so little sense to as you say show collections in that way it's such for a consumer frankly ridiculous times so many consumers don't still understand and for good reason why you're showing a summer collection in a time where they're not thinking about that sort of clothing whatsoever and I think it was so great to sort of see you being a quote-unquote disruptive force because that's how I feel in my role is that I've consistently tried and have been told I'm a disruptive person but that's what actually allows change to happen you're obviously absolutely successful in your own right and then also you get that interaction with your consumer which I love about your brand and I've noticed that I even over the last year or so I've even just noticed you becoming much closer with your consumer and your audience which I think is so refreshing because again it removes that layer of I'm up here and you're down there and that's where you should be and that's where I am. Yeah, and actually I think that goes nicely back to the point that you made earlier like about there being like this like classism and like exclusivity associated with fashion. I think a lot of designers do put themselves up there and like don't want to have any association with the people who are actually like engaging with their with their collections. And I think London is there are so many like amazing bright young talents in London mm. um, who are trying to run these brands like they are a major Paris fashion house and it's like we are in, it's a very different ball game and like you know you need to like embrace what we have here and that kind of like that freshness and that creativity and like doesn't need to be like super sleek polished even though like we're all trying everyone's trying for that but I'm like just embrace what we have and do it your own way. I want to tell you about a brand new podcast coming to Gay Times. One of the most fascinating parts of my role at the company is having access to our historic archives spanning five decades. A long-running feature by the name of Media Watch critiqued and commented on the rampant homophobia and transphobia in our press. Unfortunately, that prejudice is still rife, even if a little more underhanded. So the team at Gay Times has been working hard to bring a new audio version of Media Watch to a whole new generation. Hosted by the incredible Shamir Sani, make sure you check out the new series today. The Telegraph published an article stating, the government's proposed ban on conversion therapy would criminalize Christian parents who want to stop their children seeking transgender treatment. First one from The Telegraph is very, I'm not going to say shocking, because if you're queer, these things often become quite numb. You're just like, okay, yeah, there's someone, someone else being outrageous. But yeah, it was, it was a difficult read. There's this constant back and forth between religion and the LGBTQ community. And so when it comes to conversion therapy specifically, it's like there's this big focus on Christian aspect of it. For me, it was, you know, growing up in Pakistan, it was that if you found out that your son was gay, that you would take them to the imam for help to save you from the curse, so to speak. In this piece, if you were to look at what they're saying, it's being posed as something that is very, you know, caring when it's not in in any facet of the imagination. Let's go back a bit to, you were talking about Central St. Martins before and and sort of that transition from studying and and growing up in the North and then coming to the CSM. A lot of inspiring designers want to know and, and want to see people that they can kind of understand how they found success. But 
in that kind of moment, as you said, actually, before you were the first person from your foundation to get into Central St. Martins, how important was studying for you? And did you see Central St. Martins and, and everything that comes with that as your sort of ticket to success, quote unquote? Or do you think that people have found other ways to found their own uh, labels, etc.? How was that experience? It certainly does help you going to St. Martin's. Actually, there is like a certain association with the name that people do pay attention to it. But there are a lot of people who go to that university thinking that just because they've gone there, they're going to walk straight into a design director role or they're going to have their own label and it's going to be a great success straight away without working hard. And actually, those people who went in with that attitude didn't end up doing very well at all. And I think there is a certain opportunity that comes with having gone there. Like people do pay attention, but only if you work really hard as well. And I think the process of getting in is so difficult and actually mm-hmm. the course itself and being there is so hard that unless you work really hard yourself, you won't get the most out of it anyway. So it kind of like they go hand in hand with each other. Like you get out what you put in. For sure. After Central St. Martins, you gained experience at places like Burberry, Victoria Beckham, Louis Vuitton. How was that? And what were the highs and lows of working in kind of big fashion uh post post uni actually those three i all i worked at all three of those whilst i was actually studying at uni it was like i tried to gain as much experience as i could whilst i was still studying just because i was like so hungry for it so i did my placement year at i did six months at Longvin and then six months at louis vuitton and then when i graduated louis vuitton came to me and they were like we'd like you to come back and work for us i was doing leather good design and at that point, opening ceremony also came to me and wanted to buy my graduate collection. And I was like, this is all a bit much because I did actually just sew all this myself. <laughs> I don't really know what even like a line sheet looks like. So I said to Louis Vuitton, like, oh, opening ceremony, I want to buy the collection. So do you mind if I, I really want to do that? I wonder if we can figure out a way. And they were like, yeah, sure, you can just do three days a week. And I was like, that's great, but I want to have my studio in London so they were like so you want to do three days in Paris and four days in London yeah so for a whole year I ended up commuting on the train did you for three days um to work that's quite glamorous though coming straight out of university and doing that yeah it was I used to always JW Hansen was doing the same because he was doing Loewe and he's like see him on the Eurostar on a Sunday I'd be like "Uh." I was like this feels really glam but then (laughs) after like nine months of getting the Eurostar twice a week I was like this this is not glam (laughs) Um, but I did that for the first year and it was such a good it put me in such good footing because it meant that I was gaining experience in a big house and like also I was able to financially support doing my label because I had a job somewhere and it just meant also that people took me seriously as well because when I would do interviews and stuff. They'd be like, oh, Daniel is a designer at Louis Vuitton. He also is doing his own label. He's come straight out of St. Martin's. It was like a really good starting point. And so I'm very grateful to LVMH and Vuitton for kind of like giving me that opportunity to do that because I don't think it's something that happens for a lot of people. You spent some time at Victoria Beckham and you ended up being in a certain YouTube video with Victoria Beckham, which uh, is her infamous, I think it is infamous, her infamous 73 questions for Vogue, right? And a lot of people, including me, have known you for a certain amount of time and never put two and two together that the Daniel in the video is actually Daniel W. Fletcher. Just talk us through sort of like how that became part of like a small subset of pop culture, because it did, and it actually has been, as I said, referenced 
to me by people who don't know who you are and like the infamous line of Daniel how are you (laughs) so when it first came out I knew that it was like it was obviously everywhere and obviously I looked like that at the time and so people were like oh my god I've seen the Victoria Beckham video and like I would bump into people I'd not seen for years and they'd be like oh my god I've seen that Victoria Beckham video (laughs) and then it kind of like died down for a while and then just in the last couple of years it just like keeps creeping up and I really knew that it was back when do you know Tom Glitter? Well I was about to say because Tom Glitter did a video for Gay Times Oh, was it four gay times? It was four gay times. You can tell the rest, but they, they reference it in this in this video. Well, so I just got a message from someone saying that they'd been to one of Tom's shows and the show opened with, Hey Daniel, how are you? And then <laughs> and then Tom comes on and does the show. And I was like, Oh my god, I can't believe they've used that. But then I bumped into Tom at a, at a party or something and I was like, Do you know Daniel is me? And they were like <laughs> absolutely gobsmacked i was like yeah i love it that they don't put two or two together but we, and i think none of us did so you're right i think tom used it at the beginning of that show but then there's also a video on gay times is somewhere in our like content ether and i think it's the opening line to the video <laughs> so it's clearly a sort of opening statement but i've then heard it referenced and seen it on twitter and i love that as you say it's come back there was a meme during lockdown or like a gif or something and it's like of me and victoria shaking hands and then it says that when you finally meet some like real people out of lockdown again isn't there an awkward moment in the video where something kind of doesn't happen that the should whole happen? thing is I, the whole thing is so <laughs> awkward because so basically we did like eight takes and it was all going smoothly but then we were doing like a kiss it, she was like hey daniel how are you and i was like hey victoria and then we were doing like a kiss on the cheek and then just before we did the last take they said don't do the kiss on the cheek because it's ruining your hair so we didn't do it but we didn't decide what we were going to do instead <laughs> so we both went in for the kiss on the cheek and then we realized and then we were like oh so then we just grabbed each other's arms <laughs> but like past the point where you could shake our hands it was like an arm grab and then we just like shaked arms like this and then um literally held onto each other's elbows and yeah. sort of shook them and then didn't know what to do and i was like trapped in between the handbags and her and i was like <laughs> well, i'm just gonna try and squeeze past then and then there was a I bit know. at the end where she was supposed to help me wrap these sunglasses up and then she just didn't do it and then i she was supposed to like take the back off me and put the sticker on so i had the sticker on my finger <laughs> and she takes it back off me but she didn't put the sticker on it so i'm just stood there with the sticker on my finger so i just put the sticker in the drawer it was so bad but also really funny and we laughed about it and um actually like she's been really supportive in the last uh, the last year of my collections and stuff it's really nice that's lovely yeah. that you're still in touch that's really lovely because it's it is very funny if you haven't watched it go on youtube and and search for 73 questions of victoria beckham and enjoy the the total awkwardness that is daniel w fletcher trying to put a sticker in a drawer yeah <laughs> just keep your eyes on daniel because it's good fun Daniel's eponymous label made its mark immediately when opening ceremony bought his graduate collection. And Harry Styles purchased every shirt from that same collection, going on to personally commission a few more. Now stocked in department stores all over the world, as well as on the brand's own e-commerce platform, and directly to fans on social media, each responsive collection combines timeless shapes and new fabrics and motifs. Your designs have been featured on some various famous faces. Harry Styles, Troy Sivan, who's amazing, Dua Lipa, KJ Apa. 
I noticed that when we had this information sent through from your PR team, they didn't have Tag Warner on the list, but you have also dressed me, we know. Oh, so yeah. Daniel did do a lovely, I'm joking by the way, but the Daniel designed an incredible outfit for me for one of our big events at Gay Times, which was incredibly generous and kind of you. How does it feel? And how did that first sort of moment feel where you saw your outfit on a really big name splashed across loads of websites because that must be exciting to see your design like seen by because you know that's going to be seen by millions of people even if it's on the mail online or anything like the, just the fact that people are going to see it how does that feel i mean the first ever one actually was harry and it so right. i've done six shirts for him from my graduate collection and okay. well there was like four from my graduate collection then two like, one-offs for him and he was doing like it was when he was in one direction still and they were doing like an interview on radio one or something like that and my agent like phoned me and he was like i think harry's wearing one of your shirts i think harry's wearing one of your shirts and i was like like furiously looking on like mail online mail online and like <laughs> he was wearing one of my shirts but he did have a coat over the top and you could only see about like about two centimeters off it and he was like i think we should send out a media blast <laughs> like, well you can't really see it though like i think like it is more about the coat like it really it was a black shirt so that you really, really couldn't see it. But then a couple of days later, he uh, wore another one on, I think it was on Jonathan Ross. And then that kind of like really exploded really quickly because he had such a huge fan base. And there's like all this like Harry or what websites and stuff like that. So, um, and they had kind of clocked onto it. And, and for people, I'm sure be really interested. So what, what happens, talk us through the process. So when you say things like, you know, Harry Styles wore a few shirts from the collection of four shirts and then, and then made two more. How does that happen? Like when people sort of request items, what's that process like? And do they, are they part of that? Or do they just love the brand that they want something sort of exclusive? I think people be interested to know how that all happens. I think it kind of like happens in loads of different ways so like in a lot of cases where it's like musicians for example they might have stylists so with harry mm -hmm. he has a stylist harry lambert a friend mm -hmm. of mine i absolutely love him and he came to see my collection when it was at my pr agency and was like i think harry would really like these can i take them for him to try on and then took them and he tried them and he was like really like them but can you make it three centimeters longer and it's like yeah no problem and then that's yeah. kind of like where that relationship started and i started doing those things for him and then in other times it's been like actually Troy I think Troy just like one mm -hmm. time just ordered something but we hadn't sent it to him and I just like saw a picture so things like that's a complete surprise there was someone from Real Housewives Erica Jane is that someone? yeah yeah she yeah. was wearing a shirt in like a press no shop way. and she I think she must have just bought it because we didn't send it to her and I was like at the time I'd not watched any Real Housewives but my stylist had was like going absolutely mental about it but then there's other times like so like kj apper for example mm -hmm. his stylist warren was like we're doing press for kj can you send some stuff over so it can happen in loads of different ways but it's always really nice i love to see people wearing the clothes like it's mm. seeing real people wearing them just seeing people wear it is like a lovely feeling i mean the fact that erica jane wore a shirt is, is quite a huge deal after showing at um, places like London Fashion Week, you took part in Netflix's Next in Fashion, which was a big splash from Netflix into the fashion sort of reality competition world. 
tell us a bit about that and also tell us about the thought process because I think it's fair to say that some people especially in sort of like fashion might look down on the sort of like competition reality shows in a way what kind of made you think like yeah this is a great opportunity and I'm gonna do it and not get scared away from putting yourself out there on a show that would be seen by it's on Netflix so tens and tens of millions of people yeah, 135 million, is that what they said? Something like Really? That. Yeah, I remember when we started filming, they were like, it's going out to 135 million people. I was like, wow. Yeah, vast, vast. I was really scared about it and what people would think and if it was the right thing to do because I've worked really hard in the last, like, in the four years leading up to that and, like, built a good reputation for myself and, like, be, was kind of taken seriously as a credible designer and I was like I didn't know what the show was going to be like because it was the first ever season I was like what if it's really terrible and I was so worried that first of all that I would go into it and it would just make me look very amateur and then secondly that I would go on it and everyone would just be like oh god why has he done this tacky reality show and it would kind of like destroy what I'd built up already but it wasn't until I got there that I was like fully committed to being on the show because so we flew out and we had a week where we did screen tests and actually they flew out more people than ended up on the show. Some people got uh. cut before we even started filming. And even in like the first couple of days, I was like, I'm not sure that I'm going to do this. I might fly home. Like I'm not sure if it's the right thing to do because also I could have just, imagine if I just did something really bad on it, like by accident, I don't know had like an absolute outburst and <laughs> it was really horrible or just like came across like an absolute cow so I was nervous but then I got there and I kind of like met some of the other contestants and could see that like Carly for example my partner had an amazing career where she like mm. she'd done eight years at Stella McCartney she'd been a design director at Alexander Wang like was like a credible designer like Angel I knew from St. Martin's. She's kind of like super successful. We'd done the Walmart Prize together. Like Minju had also been nominated for the LVMH Prize. Like I was like, okay, there's some good people here. Like I feel right. comfortable. Also like Tan and Alexa, like super fun. I was like, and I saw like the satin stuff and I was like, okay, like it's not like... And it's Netflix, so there's going to be some budget, which is nice. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I kind of looked at it as... I'd spent four years working really hard for sure. on my label and for other brands as well. And being in London, I was like, you know what? It's a really nice opportunity to like take myself completely out of my comfort zone and do something completely different that I, I don't want to look back in like 30 years and be like, oh, I wonder mm-hmm. what would have happened if I'd done that TV show. Like, actually, I was like, let's go for it and let's just like have some fun. And it was so nice to actually be out of the studio and not running a business for two months. Like, it really Did it made... feel like a vacation in a way, even though I'm sure you were doing very long days? <laughs> yeah, even though I was like working so much, like I was doing like getting picked up from the hotel at 5am and getting dropped off at 11. But it reminded me what, why I love what I do like I was Mm -hmm. sat down in front of a sewing machine I was designing I was coming up with ideas every day all day Mm -hmm. and that is something that I actually don't get to do that much of now because I'm like dealing with tax or invoices or like (laughs) hiring people or doing I don't know PR plans and all those kind of things that like actually like that's part of what I do you know I don't hate it but also like what I really love is designing and coming up with ideas and creating things and like that's what I did on the show what did you learn from the show and also there's so much chat a lot of the time about how reality shows or competition shows sort of uh, edit people so what did you learn and also do you think you were portrayed you know accurately on the show do you think you came across as the the real 
Daniel? I think so. I think quite a lot of the contestants were a bit thrown by the whole like TV side of it. I went into it knowing that it was going to be very different to how it is when I'm designing in my own studio. I knew that I wasn't going to be like going to the library and researching for four days and then like spending six weeks like developing one pattern for a tailored jacket. I was like, it's a TV show, they're going to want it to be fast, it's a competition, like we've just got to do that. So I always try to remind myself of that. And I think that helped me get through the competition and like also not get too stressed about it either, not get hung up on things. Whereas I think other people on the show like did struggle with that a little bit. I think like Carly, for example, I'm sure she wouldn't mind me saying like, she's a really amazing designer, but she wasn't right for like, actually, I think she made really great TV, but she wasn't (laughs) right for that competition because the way that she designs is like very meticulous and like she's so focused on details and like has been used to working a certain way for her entire career like putting her in a situation where you're telling her to make a tailored jacket in six hours at the same time as like explaining all the things that you do in in front of a camera is like not is not right for her but I kind of loved it actually I had to re- I would love to do some more tv I really had fun yeah, I remember it going out and just being inundated with messages from, you know, people like my mum and like friends at home being like, oh my God, that's Daniel on the television and like being so excited to see you. But also, I have to say so many people saying he came across so well. I think people really like warmed to you as a character. And that's not to say that you were playing a character. But of course, when you're on television, there is a certain amount of characterization that has to go into allowing the audience to understand who you are. And it was so nice to sort of see you come across as you. And as you say, they didn't decide to film your outburst, not that you had any, and then make you into the sort of the villain or something of the series. So it was great to see you sort of like shine in in that way. It was really nice. There was actually one moment I remember thinking like I was a real bitch when I'd asked for some buttons. We had like a team of runners who would like get things from like the fabric room Mm -hmm. and stuff for us. And I was like, I need some shirt buttons. And then they bought me some buttons and they were like about six centimeters. They were literally like clown buttons, like the size (laughs) of a two-pence piece. And I was like, have you ever seen a shirt with buttons that big? (laughs) And they were like, what what size do you want? I was like, go to the wardrobe department, look at one of my shirts, get the same size as those. And then afterwards I was like, I'm really sorry. I was really stressed at that moment. I don't know why I was such a bitch. (laughs) But I think in general, I think I deal with stress quite well. I try Mm -hmm. not to get too stressed because... It's just fashion at the end of the day. Like, this is in my everyday life. I'm like, it's just fashion. You know, you'll always figure it out. And if it doesn't happen, like, it's not the end of the world. No one's going to die because of it. It's like, maybe not going to have a new shirt, you know? It's like, really (laughs) not that, not worth worrying about. And I kind of, like, made sure that I kept that approach when I was on the show as well. And I think Mm. that meant that I was quite relaxed the whole time and therefore came across as myself. Daniel, this is the part of the podcast where we get to ask each other any questions that we want and we have to answer honestly and it's a segment that we're calling Do Ask, Do Tell. Oh God. So we're going to take it in turns and we get to ask each other three questions and you are the guest so you can go first and the only rule is that we have to answer honestly and there's no holes barred. So over to you for your first question. If you're going to work for one other media company other than gay times who would it be and why oh my god really good question i think because i 
love producing like long form video based stuff it would it would definitely be one of the streaming platforms so like a netflix or an apple tv you've got to give us one you've got to give us one (laughs) i'm going to say we have very good friends at apple they're very good to us i'll say apple tv plus i'll say apple tv plus but yeah good question i think i'd i'd cross over i wouldn't i'd be really honest i don't think i can see myself going into what of course gay times has transitioned a bit you know like but a, a traditional media business i can't see myself going into like a a magazine. A magazine. Yeah. I couldn't, I don't think I could do it. Who is one person that you would love and you would, maybe it's just a fandom thing, but if they wore your clothing, you would get a bit excited about it and a bit overexcited. Like, what's the one person that you'd love to see wearing your clothes? Oh, God. There's like two answers for this. I'll give you the cool one or I can give you the, like the real, like, fangirl one. Fangirl uh, one. Fangirl Sean one. Mendes. Okay. I think it would, yeah. I think he would be like a really good Daniel Fletcher. I think he totally would. Definitely, like the right look and everything. Okay. Should send him a DM. And he's got some floppy hair like you, so you yeah. can <laughs> flop your, flop your yeah. hair around together. Yeah. Okay, it's question number two. If you were going to hire one person mm. for gay times, and it could be any role, it could be a completely new made-up role, and it can be anyone, don't worry about the budget, who would it be? And what would they do? Oh my do? God, that's a really good question. That's like, yeah, dream hiring situation. Like Kylie Minogue to sing in the office all day. Okay, yeah, I think I would hire a a professional margarita maker because Very I do good. now drink again. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing better than a margarita. <laughs> it's just my favorite thing on the planet, but I find that they're made really badly. So like to get like a really amazing margarita permanently in the Gay Times offices, just like on tap for like this sort of successful moment after a Thursday meeting would be A+. plus. <laughs> okay, so professional margaritas makers, please send your CVs to please, exactly, Tank at Gay Times. <laughs> exactly, work with us at gaytimes.co.uk. <laughs> so, one item from a DWF collection that you would burn in a heartbeat. There are a few. There's a whole collection, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I was worried the pause were you were going to say, how dare you? Everything I've made is, I'm proud of. To be honest, I would just burn the whole of spring, summer 18. What was it about that collection? It was just shit. I made it so <laughs> quickly. And basically, it was like, I just done wholesale for the first time the season before and it had gone really well and I'd got loads of orders and I had to then produce those that collection and therefore I spent all my money on it and all my time on it just doing the production because the brand had grown so quickly that when it actually got to like doing the collection I just did it so fast and it was just like basically like shorts and t-shirts and joggers and I think I'd been influenced too much by my sales team to like just do something really commercial and it just was like really boring Mm-hmm. So, and just a bit sloppy, I thought. So I try not to talk to anyone about that one. So thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> I think you got your last question. Okay, Tag. So what is your plan to become a global TikTok star? <laughs> <laughs> Are you on TikTok? I do actually have it, but I've never posted anything. And I just okay. I have 11 followers just because I think they've found me somehow. 
but do have you followed me or have you seen my tiktoks how do you know that i'm on tiktok yeah i've watched some videos really enjoy it okay good but i might start tiktok because i'm actually shooting my next collection on some tiktok stars are you that's exciting and hey fashion on tiktok goes down really well yeah. My TikTok, I'm loving it. I mean, again, if you're listening, you haven't, if I stumbled across <laughs> Tag Water on TikTok, you now know. But my TikTok is great. Do you know why? Because I am a CEO. I do run a company, but I'm also a person. You know, I've just turned 27. Like, I'm not sort of like the stuffy CEO who's like in his 50s wearing a suit and going to a boardroom each day. Like, I still feel quite sort of like young in lots of capacities. And I think the thing that I miss a lot, and I think the thing that my job, even though I'm incredibly grateful and I love it, that has taken away from me is this ability just to have some fun. And I think that actually on my social media, you'll you'll notice if you have seen any of my social media that I'm relatively serious and I kind of talk mostly about work. And I think TikTok was great because I actually started it and didn't tell anybody. And I kind of kept it secret from everyone at work for like five months before someone probably came across it. And yeah, I've actually just, uh, I've enjoyed it a lot. So I love it. I think it's so fun. Maybe that's because I'm very serious on social media as well, I think. So I think maybe I should, maybe that's what I'll do with my TikToks. Okay, last question. I was going to ask you something serious, but now I'm going to ask you something silly. What's the most sort of like salaciousy, gossipy thing that's happened in the fashion biz that you've been a part of? Has anything funny happened at an event? Has anything sort of like very raucous happened? You don't have to name any names or make it obvious who it is, but anything sort of like silly have you had any sort of like funny moment in a bar with someone like there is one time when I was in a meeting about quite a big collaboration that I was working on and I didn't end up doing the collaboration because I actually found the company to be really rude and I was like they were basically like if you want to do the collaboration with us we're not going to pay you for it because you should just be really happy to be doing collaboration with us. Oh, really? And I was like, well, you're actually like a huge multi-multi-million pound company. So, <laughs> and I'm a small, young, independent designer. So I should like at least try and get something out of it. But during one of the meetings, the person from the PR team had clearly like not done any research at all and started referring to me as Daniel Wellington and then started <laughs> talking about watches. And I was like, just to be clear, I am Daniel Fletcher, the men's fashion designer, not Daniel Wellington, the watch brand. <laughs> so, That's a great story. <laughs> yeah. As you can imagine, the collaboration did not go any further. <laughs> okay, Daniel, we're nearly at the end. So to kind of wrap up, one thing that I think I always enjoy about you is you kind of tell her how it is. And for younger listeners or people that are sort of, not necessarily younger, but just aspiring to get into fashion, a lot of them see the sort of glitz and glamour of the whole thing. What's the what's the least glamorous thing, the hardest thing about fashion and, and the stuff that you sort of still to this day work just really, really hard on and it's all about grinding the hours? I think like you can't go into fashion imagining that you're going to be like doing a photo shoot or a fashion show every day like that comes like a couple of times a season and the rest of the time you might be like running around London picking up samples and like sourcing fabrics and like you might be working till three o'clock in the morning like sewing something yourself like that is the reality of it like it what you see on the outside is a very polished like finished product but the process to get there is is hard work and a lot of determination and yeah that's the reality of it 
lastly, we are recording this in, you know, another lockdown in the kind of global coronavirus situation. Has lockdown and the sort of lack of shows the ability to sort of interact with people in an industry which is so full of that has that taught you anything about sort of taking time to care for yourself and taking a moment yeah I've really felt it actually the last month I think because I went into this year imagining that it was just all going to be rosy and we were going to be out of this and I was like excited to get back to like going into the office more with for Fiorucci and like seeing my colleagues and like doing the show and that kind of stuff and it's become clear that that's not going to happen and we're going to kind of be in this for the foreseeable future as well. So that's been kind of hard to swallow a little bit, but also I know that I'm in a very fortunate position because I am still working. I'm still able Mm -hmm. to work. Like I'm able to go to my studio. It's, but what it's also done is kind of just made me reassess the way that I work and like the way that I do things and like made me look at the size of my collection. So like, how many looks are we putting out? How often are we doing it? What ways are we showing the collections? And that is something that everyone should be doing. And I hope when we come out of this, everyone will continue to change their ways of working and look at how they're doing things. Yeah. Because I think the world will be a better place if we really embrace this change that has come out of this year. And especially from like a sustainability perspective, actually, like the fashion calendar and schedule does not work for our planet. And Mm -hmm. I think there are a lot of industries that don't work for our planet. And I think people have had to make changes because of these lockdowns and the the virus. So I think coming out of this year, if we all learn from what's happened, it will allow us to make changes that will benefit the future. Thank you so much, Daniel. Thank you for having me. The thing I love about Daniel is that he has this amazing no BS, super honest approach to how he looks at fashion, how he thinks about himself. And that's really, really refreshing in that industry. I also love the fact that he's not afraid to shake things up and be a bit disruptive, operating outside of the usual constraints that the world that he exists in has put upon him and saying, I'm going to do this my own way. I'm going to set my own success criteria. And hey, if it doesn't work sometimes, that's also okay. Tag Talks is a Gay Times original podcast. Subscribe and listen to more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure you're following at Gay Times on all major social media platforms for the latest LGBTQ plus news, culture, and entertainment. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Finally, make sure you check out Gay Times Plus, our membership platform for everyone in our community. Remember, you can find more information at gaytimesplus.com. Tag Talks is a Gay Times original podcast hosted by me, Tag Warner. It is produced by I1 Obinyan with production by II Studios. The production assistant is Ade Damola Bajumo. Gay Times original content is delivered by GTX, the Gay Times agency.